there's this, this movie that I don't know if I could say that the Lord brought it to my mind, but, um, but it, it, it serves the purpose of, of uh, truth. Um, one of the movies that I think has made uh, a mark in our language and to some extent our culture, and you're probably going to laugh when I name it, um, is the movie Jerry Maguire. Um, and I say laugh because the preacher saw Jerry Maguire. Well, yes, I did. I don't remember when it came out, probably 97 or so. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'm not endorsing the movie. And if you're going to watch it, don't watch the movie version. Watch the TV version for some obvious reasons. But there are redeeming qualities to the movie. And if you don't know what the movie's about, um, let me just give you a snippet. I mean, the main character, Jerry Maguire, is played by Tom Cruise. Um, and he is this, this sports agent. And he goes through this transformation at the beginning of the movie. He's a guy who has it all, but he goes through this transformation to recognize that, that he needs to place people before profits in a, in a market that is driven by and dominated by and enslaved to uh, the bottom line or, or the profit. Um, and um, in that transformation, he loses his job. As you know, he's left with only one person who's willing to believe in him. And the whole rest of the movie is about him learning to live out that tough philosophy of life, which is I'm going to place people before profits. Um, interesting, interesting movie. And that's one of the, the theme itself is somewhat redeeming, if you might call it a redeeming quality of the movie. But as you make your way through the movie, and this is part of why I think it's left an indelible kind of mark, is, is there are these lines um, of the script that have made their way into our, our language. Uh, one of the other major actors in it is Cuba Gooding Jr., who plays the part of the athlete football player, um, uh, Rod Tidwell. And at one point, Jerry's on the phone with Rod Tidwell, and you remember what he's asked? He's like, show me the money. You remember that part? Show me the money. It's a whole dance routine going on, show me the money. That's one of those lines that kind of emerges from that, from that movie. The, another line, get delivered near the end to, a, to, a, to, a, to his sweetheart, Jerry Maguire's sweetheart, played by Renee Zellweger, um, in a room full of love-starved women who are angry at men, he delivers the line to his sweetheart, Dorothy Boyd, and you know what the line is. He says, you complete me, which then she responds and said, you had me at hell. See, you've seen the movie, too. <laughs> Do not judge if you've seen the movie. So it's, you complete me, and um, you had me at hello, and, and then <laughs> this probably isn't a memorable line, but I like the little kid who's like, who says, do you know that the human head weighs eight pounds out of nowhere, right? I do that to my kids. We're driving down the road, and sometimes they just start, start spewing out meaningless trivia, and I just spew out my own. Do you know that the human head weighs eight pounds, and they just look at me? <laughs> Another line from the movie. Uh, but, so there's this word that I want to redeem from that movie. Uh, I want to Christianize. I want to capitalize on it, use it, exploit it, abuse it, whatever you want to call. Um, and it is the word quan. You remember that, that word? K-W-A-N. Or I've seen some spell it Q-U-A-N. There's this moment where, like, Jerry and Rod Tidwell or um, Tom Cruise and Cuba Gooding Jr. are talking to each other, and, and Jerry's asking, Rod, what, do we, what do you want? He says, here's what I want. I want the quan. That's what he says. I want the quan. That's, that's like what he imagines to be um, a full life. I want the quan. Jerry's like, what is the quan? And rather than try and uh, pull this from memory, this is the part from the movie script. The quan is, he says, love, respect, community, and the dollars, too. The whole package. That's what he says. 
He's not just out for the money. He says, I want the quan. I want the whole package. He wants his wife. He wants his children. He wants the life, the house, and the money. It's the package. Now, what a great word. Now, I don't know that we have, and maybe if I thought long and hard enough, I could find an English word that talks about the whole package, the whole enchilada. Quan. What a, what a, what a great word. You know, I, every one of us, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, we have a picture of what the quan is for us, the package deal. Um, and if you were to take a moment to just kind of sketch out in your mind, like, what is it that I hope will happen in my life? Those things you're hoping for, those things you're dreaming of, maybe pretend like you have a quan bag. What would you put in it, you know? Good marriage, kids. Um, home. I don't know. What, what, what would it be for you? I'm just, just asking you. Could, you. could you verbalize it in your head? What you, what you want it to be? What would go in the Quan bag or in the Quan list? Security. What else? You can say. Health. You want health? I want health. Anything else? Love. Anything else? In the Quan bag? What was the last one? Safety. All of us have these things in what we idealize as, as, as the Quan. And, um, and I want you to take that, those things that we've just articulated, and I, I want you to set it aside for a moment and recognize that everybody has this package deal in their head. All right? And um, I think what we're going to see before us is, is we're going to see um, a faulty form of Quan and a true and lasting sense of Quan, the whole package deal, in what emerges here in the text. Now, I want to imagine this rewinding history. And we're back in the first century, and it's the night before Jesus was, was killed. And his disciples have just had dinner with him. And keeping in mind that, you know, we kind of read um, the stories of the Bible with like, almost a mythical sense to it, as if it's the Apostle John or it's the Apostle Peter. It's like these were real guys, real language. They were fishermen. They smelled bad sometimes. They argued. They fought with their wives. They had their own hopes. They had their own dreams. They lived in a world very much like ours, um, full of conflict and turmoil and uncertainty. Those things have not changed. Technology may have changed, but those things have not changed. The world is every bit as fragile and in turmoil and conflict as it ever was. So they existed in a sense very much like us. And as I said, they had their own hopes and dreams in this conflicted world. And along came this guy named Jesus. You almost have to picture yourself hearing him for the first time. We're so used to hearing about Jesus that, that we're not... We don't feel what it would feel like for him to walk into town and you're like, man, that preacher's pretty good. He just healed my next door neighbor who I, you know, who had a, a limp her whole life. Just, and he started speaking, Jesus started speaking of words like good news or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or starts speaking of newness of life, eternal life, about his father in a way that just makes hope rise. And, and they're excited. They begin to follow him. They become part of his his uh, discipleship group. And what I'd like to kind of point out is that from their vantage point and given the details in the New Testament, it would seem to me that what they believed about him was, was distorted. 
That is, in their mind, Messiah, Christ, the son of David, led ultimately to one thing, and that was him reigning on the throne in Jerusalem over the people of Israel, and indeed, um, as the prophets would say, over the whole world. So their expectations, when Jesus comes on the scene and they see him do miracles and hear his teaching, their expectation that he is going to take them to the top, they're going to go into the Oval Office in the Knesset, you know, And what that means for them, naturally, since they're his right-hand men, is that they would get the cabinet positions right next to the Oval Office. Now, you think about the dreams and the hopes that are attached to that. Um, I mean, that's a better life. It's a better place to live. It's better health care. The whole enchilada, the whole quan is attached to their expectations of Jesus. We know that because they were arguing over who's going to be the greatest, who gets the room right next to the Oval Office, Right? That's the, the, already you can see this emerging sense of, of quan, of, of, of the life attached to Jesus. Well, as Jesus makes his way from the upper room where they just had supper to the garden, and the text of John 13 and 14 and 15 are all, all take place between the Last Supper and his arrest. In other words, this is the night before he dies. So what he says here is right before his crucifixion, his brutal, horrific crucifixion. And he tells his disciples, who have these delusions of grandeur, he tells his disciples that, hey, guess what? I, I'm leaving, and you can't come. That'd be like a, like a, like a record needle, like, whoop, wait a second. Oval office, cabinet positions, greatness, prestige, power, and honor. What's, 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 what do you mean you're not going to? Um, we can't follow you. And so Peter asks him. He's troubled by this. This is the end of chapter 13. Lord, where are you going? They, they don't contemplate the fact that Jesus is going, for all practical purposes, to hell the next day and endure the wrath of God. He says, and Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And I think he's speaking of death. Um, Peter eventually would die for his Savior um, three decades later. And Peter said to him, verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? He wants to go the whole way. And to kind of reinforce his commitment level, his fortitude, he says, and I will lay down my life for you. To which Jesus rather ironically answers, will you lay down your life for me? Not even understanding that the next day um, Jesus would be the one who would offer his life as a lamb slain. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So the disciples are troubled. Peter wants to know where, you're go- where I'm going where you're going, Jesus, and it's, I will follow you, I will give my life for you. I think that's his way of saying, listen, I'll help you make your way to the top. I'm into this kingdom thing. Like, I'm willing to do whatever it costs. I'm, I'm, I'm a fisherman, I know my strength, I can do this. And, and Jesus, of course, turns around and basically tells him, listen, before the night's over, your bravado, your fortitude is going to crush, like sand under your feet. A, a good kind of revelation of both human hubris of mind, as how proud we are, and our overestimation of our own strength of will. And, and Peter is an example of all of us that we can say we resolve to do something and to follow Jesus. And the next very moment, um, that resolve turns to ashes. And it's a way of pointing out that the Quan, as Jesus will define it correctly, cannot be achieved or attained by us. We do not have strength of will, which is why Jesus is where I'm going. I'm going alone. 
I'm the only one who can procure it for you. So at this point, the disciples are troubled. Peter's troubled because Jesus basically said, you're going to deny me. You're going to fail miserably. And the rest of the disciples were probably troubled because Jesus basically said, I'm leaving and you can't follow me, which would have been um, almost a disintegration of their dream, their hopes. And so Jesus comforts them. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Now we're in our text. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. It's like, it's like Jesus, like, right? This is the night before he dies. He's mindful and conscience, conscious of the very next day he's going to be both betrayed, he's going to be brutalized, he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, he's going to bear the wrath of God. And on this night, he chooses to go ahead and console his disciples, when the disciples, in fact, should be consoling him. But he takes the time to console his disciples. Don't be troubled. But rather, and this is the answer to consolation, or way to consolation, he says, believe. There's that word that we've heard earlier in the service. Believe in God, believe also in me. The answer is belief. And that's the only command in the first 20 verses of this chapter. The only thing that we're to do, it's not to make the kingdom come, it's not to cause the kingdom to come, it is to believe. And isn't it interesting that Jesus would say, believe in me, right alongside the statement, believe in God, suggesting at very least that he is worthy of the kind of trust that we give to God, implying that he himself is in fact divine. He's worthy of our belief. And that's the call. In this passage, the job that the disciples are to do is not make their way up to the throne, but rather they are to believe. That's the call, to believe. But then Jesus goes on in verse 2 to talk about or explain further what they're to believe about what he will do. He talks about, first in verse 2, a realm. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. That's an assertion of a reality, saying, listen, there's a realm out there. My father, God himself, who has a dwelling. And the implication is, and you're not there. There's a realm in which God's presence exists, and you are not there. We live in a death-dominated, decaying, frustrating, discouraging, and disappointing world. But there is another place, and that's part of the good news. My father has a house, speaking of God himself. Now, I grew up in church. I heard verses like this. In fact, I had to memorize this this whole section as a kid. And I just pictured in my mind a literal um, house. Like God has this massive Bel Air-style, Beverly Hills-style house with lots of rooms, and and all of us get to go there someday, you know? That, That was kind of picture in my mind. Which, you know, when I read this in my father's house are many rooms, and I, I get one of those rooms someday, kind of seems like a step down. You know, you're going to go from your house or your three-bedroom apartment, and all of a sudden now you're living in a room, a studio apartment. That sounds like a real downsize. Let me just offer to you that, that, that he's speaking in an image here. Um, 
He's not speaking of a literal house or much less literal rooms. The other pictures in the New Testament of our final hope are sprawling new creation, a new heaven and a new earth, a place where there are vineyards and buildings, a place where there is a garden-like massive city. I mean, this, the, 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 the visions of the New Testament are wildly awesome. They're not just a house with a couple rooms in it, um, which is why I think he's speaking figuratively here. What he's saying, in essence, is, listen, where my father dwells in all of his glory and fullness, the place of blessing, place of love, and place of perfection, there's more than enough room for all of you. That's what he's saying. And that's where we need to be. And that's where the Quan is found. It's not here in this death-dominated world in which we live. He's already starting to define what that ultimate thing is. It's in my father's house. But you're not there. We're not there. The disciples are not there. It's somewhere else. Which then he goes on to say or explain how we get from here to here. And it's not by human effort. Look who does all the work in here in yellow. There's not a single subject of the verb that's human other than Jesus. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go? That's Jesus, I personal, one person goes to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come. Again, Jesus is the subject. I will come again and will take. There's no you and me in that part. He's the one who goes and prepares and comes and takes. All with reference to us. In other words, the great champion or hero, the Savior, is not a collective of a bunch of people making a bunch of effort. It's one person who goes to prepare, one person who comes again, one person who takes us from this place of sin, domination, and death and puts us into the house of his father or into the dwelling place of God. He's the one who does it, the work of Christ alone. Now, as I said, I grew up in the church, and so when I used to think of he's going to go prepare a place for me, what did you think of? I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot. I, I just, you know, when I, he's going to go prepare a place for me. What I pictured in my head as a kid is that he put on his uh, construction hat. He, he was a carpenter once, so he put on his tool belt, like tool time, like Tim Allen. You know, he's going to go and, and start hammering and nailing and putting up structures and made of stone or wood or concrete. Who knows? But he's, like, building this place for me. That's pretty awesome. Like, Jesus is building a house for us. Like, Jesus really has to take a hammer and nail and build a house for us. I mean, just pause for a second. In seven days, no, just, let's just go to the first day. The entire universe is spoken by a simple word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth by the breath of his mouth. And Jesus is going to have to build me a house. You see, that's, just, 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 that, that's not what he's saying. He's not talking about what he will prepare He's talking about how he is going to prepare us for that place. The preparation he's doing is nothing less than the cross. That's the only place, that's the only place where sinful people like you and like me, arrogant people like you and like me, dirty people like you and like me can be made clean so that we're actually prepared and ready and qualified to enter into the dwelling place of God. That's the preparation. That, and that's something that we cannot do. You can't prepare yourself for that. You can't clean yourself up for that. 
There's no cleansing of yourself for that. Cursed is the man who tries to cover his sin, but blessed is the man whom the Lord covers. The Lord is the one who covers, the one who atones. And that's Jesus saying, basically, I'm leaving you guys, which is why you're troubled, but I have to do what's necessary for you to go from this dark realm where the Quan doesn't really exist into this realm as fit people. Cleansed, atoned for, redeemed, forgiven, paid in full, as we sang. That's the preparation, right? There's no part that we do in that. So the call is to believe that. The reality to which we're headed, which defines this package deal, is the dwelling place of God. Christ is the one who alone gets us there through his work of preparation to the end that, and here's the goal, um, to be with Christ forever. That, that line in here says, that where I am, you may be also with me. That where my presence is, there will you be. That's like the end goal of Christ with his people. And that's supposed to be, church, like the center, like the most um, desirable, the most wonderful, the most sought after, the most pursued thing at the center of all that we do as a church or Christians is, is, is at the center of all this is, is our dwelling and abiding and enjoyment of Jesus himself. And where that's not at the center, it's sub-Christian, if not simply a massive lie. That's, that's where we're, it's, it's the center of, of God's presence, the center of the new creation, the center of God's people is one thing, and that is Christ amongst his people. You with me, that's, that's what I'm doing, Jesus says. So that's the goal. So let me just sum this up in a point. So what's he saying here? What are you saying to us to use that word once again, taken from Jerry Maguire, is that Christ alone, with no one else's help, delivers the Kwan. Our job, our call, is to believe. And in that belief, the soul is set in motion in a way that changes life, in a way that wants to surrender, in a way that wants to love others, in a way that wants to obey. But it comes from our belief in what Christ has done alone. He's the only one. So that's part of what he says. But you'll notice we haven't got to one of the I am statements yet. <laughs> it's coming. Because the disciples are still a little confused. Because verse 4 says, ends with, and you know the way to where I am going. You know the way. And Thomas, still troubled, says to Jesus, Lord, <laughs> we do not know where you're going. There's this massively... Um, Ignorant of what, what, where Jesus is headed. They're thinking throne, and Jesus is thinking grave. We, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, and here's the I am statements. He says, I am the way. And the truth. And the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that last statement, as we've pointed out before, is massively offensive to a secular world that wants to believe that there are many roads to heaven. Let us just pause and acknowledge the fact that Jesus in his own words says there is, there are no other ways other than himself. 
And I think since God is God, we ought to allow him the sovereign prerogative of determining the way, the only way in which we can come to him. And to be, I don't know if you could ever call God arrogant, be arrogant enough for God to say this is the only way. But he said it. He's sovereign. He exercises complete prerogatives to say this is it. My son, no other way. But it's precisely because, backing up, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, that he's the only way. It's not as if Jesus is like a trailblazer. You know, you can picture him with a, with a machete going through the jungles of Ecuador and making a way, and come on, boys, come behind me. You know, it's like if he's making a way. That's not what he's saying. He's not like a warrior who's going to, like, take a sword and march his way up, fight his way through the enemies to the to the. To the, to the throne in Jerusalem, saying, come on, boys, follow me. We're going to take over. It's like, no, you missed the point entirely. I'm not the one who leads the way. I am the way. Simply knowing me is to know the way. And I am the truth. That's not some philosophical truth. He's, what he's saying here is that, listen, as the truth, I am the very, very imprint, exact expression of the Father himself. I am the Word made flesh. You see me, you see the Father. You see my works, you see the Father's works. You hear my words, you you hear the Father's words. Where I am, the Father's present. I am the truth of who God really is. And when when I get confused when I read my Old Testament, I have to come back to this. And I say confused because, you know, there's all of these great truths about God that are, that are in, the, in the Old Testament. So God is full of steadfast love, and he's holy, 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 Isaiah chapter 6, that he is merciful, his mercies are new every day, that he's powerful and sovereign and so forth. And you get all these pieces in, in your head, and you're like, man, it's so hard to think of God in the abstract of concepts. But then you realize that Jesus is coming saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. He's like the full distillation of the presence and the personality of God right there in human form. That's what God is like. That's what our creator is like. That's what our father is like. It's coming back to the fullest, most amazing, most exact expression of God's own person is found in him. That's what Jesus, I am the truth. I'm, I, I, I re- represent, reflect, and radiate the truth of who God is. And I am life. As God in the beginning said, you know, let there be light and the heavens and the earth were created out of him. So he's the source. He's the unstarted, uncaused source of all of life. So Jesus is saying, and I'm that same source. All life comes from me. The only way to bring life and death is is to be attached to me, the fountain of life itself. I am the way and the truth and the life by nature of who I am. That means that, and I realize I just covered all these and didn't hit them, but what that means is that Jesus is not just the only one who delivers the Quan. He is himself the Quan. He is the package deal. And think about this. In him, we get everything in this life, but a thousand times better and devoid of all suffering and corruption. That in Christ, we get the presence of God, the way, the truth, and the life. That in Christ, we're promised the people of God, a full and complete family of people that we can enjoy God with forever and ever and ever and get to know and enjoy God in other people forever and ever. Who else? I mean, family has to be part of what goes in the Quan list, in the Quan bag. 
And in addition to that, in Christ um, is given to us the fullness of a new creation, the void of pollution and, and global warming or whatever that is, and just the whole of a place. I mean, that's, that's the substance, the essence of heaven is God's presence with his people in a cre new created place. That's, that's heaven. That's, that's, that's where we're, we're headed. And all of that is offered to us in Christ. And that is the Quan. Christ at the center. But do you, do you really honestly like know the Lord that way? Jesus, like, how do, how do, how do I say this? Uh, when I asked my wife to marry me, it was in Lake Tahoe at a little place called the Swiss Lakewood. I'd never been there before. Someone said, you got to go there and get engaged. And so I did, because my other place didn't work out. And, um, and I got down on my one knee, the table, and what I didn't say to her was this. Sweetheart, will you marry me? Because I need someone to support me through seminary. <laughs> or... Sweetheart, will you marry me? Because all I want is children. I guarantee you, her answer and all you women in this room's answer would have been, heck no. I am not a means to another end. And I got down on my knee and I proposed to her and I said, will you marry me because you're the love of my life? And I want to be with you. That is the heart of the Bible and the heart of Christianity. It's Jesus, I want to be with you because you are the love of my life. I've never met someone who loved me in a dirty state like you. I've never known someone more faithful to your word than you. I've never known a person to sacrifice so much for someone like me except you. You are the sum of what I desire, and I simply want to be with you. That's Christianity. And if we're pursuing Christ for any other sake, you're really not pursuing Christ, right? So is that how you feel? Is that what you think? Is Christ that to you? Because he is, at the end of the day, he's, he's the quan. And you can't take it away. We're, all of us are going to die. Some of you in here maybe started off your life looking for the Kwan, and, and it's, you realize it's disintegrated before your very eyes. As you've gone longer and longer, you've realized the marriage didn't work out, your health isn't all that great, and you don't feel an enormous amount of security or safety. It's because it's never going to be found in this realm. It's only going to be found in Christ. And, you know, I was, I'll just close with this. I, I was reminded of this because I've been thinking about the, the, um, the brutality over in the Middle East. Um, we're headed there in November 1st of this year. Um, and for those who are going, we're not going to be anywhere near the stuff. But, you know, you just pan back and realize there's brothers and sisters who love Jesus in dire situations. Last year in Iraq, and a whole, whole bunch of them were beheaded. And then we read about our Coptic brothers and sisters in Libya, 21 of them beheaded um, solely because they're believers and followers in Jesus. And another, I think it's... 300 have been taken hostage. I just read yesterday in, 
in uh, Syria, Syria and probably will meet the same fate. And it's just like, wow, that's horrible. That's part of our family. Now, in one sense, it's pure evil. And you got to know that when Jesus returns as the king, there's going to be quite literally hell to pay. Because vengeance is his, and he'll take care of it. But in another sense, I was just looking at the pictures of there being um, these Coptic Christians being led along the sea to their death place. And I just thought, you know what? They have the quan. Can't take that away. And if I read Revelation 20 correct, that you saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, been beheaded on the, for the sake of Christ, and they were sitting on thrones. You can't conquer a Christian, not really, because what they have is eternal. It's this quan. You have the quan. Do you savor it? Do you believe it? Do you hold on to it and say, "This is this is my life right here." I, I hope so. May the quan be alive in our lives and churches and family, and sense that we're about something different, not just not just a house and not just a marriage or a family, but about Christ in all of those things. Amen. God, grant us um, just hearts that love Christ um, in all of his fullness. Grant us hearts that are humble before you, that can acknowledge before you, Father, that oftentimes we don't believe as we should, but we want to. And just we pray that through the circumstances of our lives, through the suffering and through the loss, we would learn to relish and savor and hold tightly to what is most true and most lasting, which is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, and we pray this in his precious and holy name, amen. You would go ahead and stand and um, there's people here part of our our prayer ministry if you would come to the front and make yourselves available we'd appreciate that and just invite you the body here to come and respond uh, maybe there's something that the lord has laid on your heart it doesn't have to be something heavy or burdensome or maybe it is but just um come and take advantage of um just this love and service to one another to be prayed for and um and for the rest of us, you can pray where, right where you are as well. But uh, let's sing. We're going to sing a couple songs together just in response. But just um, let that truth sink in this morning. And as, we, as we're reminded again through the lyric of song just what Christ has done for us, um, I pray that your soul is truly freed to sing and to celebrate and to just enjoy relishing in this truth. Sinner's cross, you 
up church Exalted above all else in our own hearts and minds as a spouse, 
one to the other. As a parent to a child, as brothers and sisters here, as co-workers, that in every aspect of life, that Christ is at the center, permeating all things. God, we know, as Dan said earlier, that we need your help. God, it's by your grace that we stand. It's by your grace that we persevere. It's by your grace that we move forward. It's by your grace that we desire to say, Lord, we follow you. God, may we have the the fervor and the fierce, the fierceness Lord, to live out our faith, to walk humbly before you, and to truly follow you. God, it is by your grace. Lord, may you truly be all to us. We pray this as our prayer, Father, to you. Precious cornerstone sure foundation you are faithful to the end we are waiting on you Jesus we believe you're all to us precious cornerstone
be true to the glory of your great name for our peace and our joy and our literal everything. God, we love you and we praise your name and we thank you for this time together. Go before us, Lord. Go around us. Go in us. We thank you, God, for your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Hopefully there's still some things to be purchased to help support the junior high. Junior hires, if you would, um, on your way out, grab some stuff from them, and please do help stack the chairs.
dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. So give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, and let us not.
Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find 